Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Are you in the market for a new hobby? Maybe you've always wanted to learn how to build your own furniture. Or perhaps you want to take a spin at the pottery wheel. For me, it's always been vocal lessons. Well, whatever it might be, it's never a bad time to try something new. But it can be intimidating, especially when you try a new activity for the first time and you're, well, bad at it. But whoever said hobbies had to be the things that we're good at anyway? First and foremost, they're supposed to be fun and a stress reducer. So today we're jump-starting our inspiration by talking to crafters from across the spectrum. First up are two folks who are all about knitting and stitching. Greta Johnson is the host of WBEZ's Nerdette podcast. And Donna Polica, who owns Sister Art Studio, is a master of the fiber arts. First, Greta gave us the story of how she started knitting. A friend actually taught me when I was 16, and I suppose it was probably a fairly common hobby in my hometown of Fairbanks, Alaska. And yeah, it's wild. I mean, yeah, I've been knitting now for over 20 years. So your friend was a knitter and you were like, what is that? Her mom taught her and it looked fun. And yeah, I ended up teaching my mom, which is kind of funny. It's not quite how it goes usually. Yeah, that is interesting. Did you get it right away or did it take some time? Oh, no, no, of course it takes time. I love what you were saying in the intro. I think so much about hobbies, especially picking new stuff up as adults, is that we're so uncomfortable with sucking at stuff Mm -hmm. as we get older. And it's so good for your brain. It's such a good practice to learn a new skill, whatever it is. So yeah, of course it took a while and there are still things that I'm better or worse at and that's part of the joy of it. So it took a second to get comfortable with it. Totally. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, you know, that's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Donna, you know, there can be a lot of pressure as, as we were just talking about to make sure that things are perfect or that they turn out right on the first try. Do you see that in your classes? Um, I do see it more with adults than mm-hmm. I do with children. I think what is wrong um, with us? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, we're we're children are learning every day of their lives since they've been born, and so this is just something additional that's fun to do that um, can take them away from you know the screen time, um, and also. Um, Also, you're in the moment when you're working on a project, when you're knitting or crocheting. It's very meditative. Yeah, Um, that's true. Adults definitely are more difficult on themselves, but not everybody. And I think one of the things that we stress in our classes is that mistakes are going to happen. And every project that you see, any finished garment that we make, always has a mistake in it. It's never perfect. It is human nature. Greta, you're nodding. So yeah. you're, you've got mistakes in your uh, your, your blankets and of hats? Of course. <laughs> well, and it's funny, Donna, because that reminds me of, I have a friend who's been taking some sewing classes at Little Street, and she made this really cute fanny pack. It's actually Nerdette's producer, Anna Bauman. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm calling her out right now. But we were having brunch a couple weeks ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, you made that? That's so cool. Let me see. And she was like, oh, I messed it up here and here and here. And Immediately her partner, pointing Ian, out the was errors. like, Anna, you don't have to do that. No one else would notice. And I thought that was such a nice little lesson, too, right? Because I think we're so attuned to kind of being like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, here are the flaws I see. But yeah. it's like, odds, I don't I don't know how to make a fanny pack. It was beautiful. I would never have noticed the flaws. You know, and as I'm I'm thinking of Anna right now, I do the same Right, of thing. course. I do the exact same yeah. thing. I want to just point out 
the the flaws yeah, immediately. Like, this stitch is weird. This stitch is weird. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've knitted in the in in the past? Oh gosh, you know. Over the last several years, I've gotten really into like ridiculously large projects, like a blanket Ooh. or what I really like making are shawls, which are essentially just like giant triangles. <laughs> um, and they'll take, That's you know, true. like 10 or 12 skeins. And it's like this epic project where like one round or like stretch across is like hundreds of stitches. And those are really satisfying. But, you know, it's really nice to do like a hat just because that's so much faster or even mittens. The thing I don't really like about mittens is that then you have to make two of them. (laughs) And then if they don't match, that's kind of, you know, if like the thumb ends up longer on the other, I'm going to fixate on that. (laughs) mistakes. You'll hand me a pair of mittens. Exactly. But one thumb's bigger than the other. Yeah. Or like, you know, I've knitted a couple sweaters and those can be a real challenge, but so satisfying. But like the first sweater I made, the sleeves are definitely uneven. And it's one where like I pull up my sleeves most of the time anyway, so you wouldn't notice but like if I were to just like stick my arms out and you'd be like oh yeah that that one's definitely long I'm sure it's beautiful though Greta (laughs) it's lovely Donna can you can you relate here oh absolutely I think um and you know in every project what we what usually happens in knitting or crochet is you're trying to challenge yourself Mm. you're trying to learn something new and I think one of the the important things is that when people are taking on a project they they do it in consecutive order. So, for instance, you, you're going to take a beginning knitting class or a beginning crochet class. You're not going to jump socks. Mm-hmm. You're going to start with flat items, and then you're going to go to maybe hats mm-hmm. and then maybe sweaters and then more intricate items like socks. And um, so there, it is a progression. And I think um, if you're mindful about using your yarn shop as a resource, they can help you to determine what your next step or what your next project will be. Yeah. Well, I mean, have you, Greta, quit any activities in the past just because you were just so frustrated? Any hobbies, you mean, yeah. like in general? Mm-hmm. I don't know about frustrated. I took up the ukulele uh, over the pandemic. Oh. I took some classes at the... Um, Oh, my gosh. Of course, I'm going to blank on the name. You know, the folk art. What's it called? The music. Oh, my gosh. Old. Old Town School of Folk. Thank you. Good job. Nice teamwork. Yes. And yeah, that was one where it was like, I feel like I got to a certain skill level where it was like either it's about to get much harder or I can just kind of chill in the shallow end, Mm -hmm. you know, and I decided to chill in the shallow end. (laughs) Um, And that was nothing about like the classes themselves. It was just sort of like where I was at and the challenge level I was up for. So, you know, that was less about frustration and more just about like, you know, how challenging do I want this to be? How much time do I have for it? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for me, I'm thinking most immediately of the pandemic. I'm glad you... Yeah brought us there um, Mm. because I I picked up you know coloring again right I was doing that yeah it was wonderful Um, nothing happened I just kind of moved on yeah I just kind of maybe got bored with it it happens I think that's the challenge right is to find that sweet spot where like you're not bored with it but it's also not too hard which I'm sure Donna you work with students a lot around that too I'm sure yes I actually um, when I started my fiber art journey I started um, with my daughter who was a very young child at the time um, and we started with a very simple rigid heddle loom. So we did, you know, we, we wove scarves for her teachers mm. for the first year. And then the following year where I just, we discovered knitting. I taught myself to knit and I taught her, her to knit. And she picked it up, of course, in like five minutes. <laughs> of always do that. And then the next year I learned to crochet. And then, you know, the journey just kept going on and on. The one thing that I always come back to is knitting because it's very portable. Mm-hmm. You can take it with you. 
I love the the way that the end product looks with the knit stitch and the and the pearl stitch combined stockinette yeah. stitch. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's good to explore the the different different fiber arts and then to settle on something that you really are interested in working with long term. Yeah. And you can go back and forth. For you know, sure. right now there's a huge resurgence in crochet. And so we have as many crochet classes as we have knitting classes this year because wow. Of the fabric industry, the fashion industry is showing a lot of crochet garments. So now that's where it's trending. Yeah, who knew? A a huge resurgence in in crocheting. I'm also wondering, Donna, if a hobby like knitting or crocheting can help with your mental health. Yes. um, Do you do it to relax? Yes. I started knitting because I was a very nervous individual right Mm. after Mm. 9-11. And I really wanted to stay away from the television. I wanted my young daughter to stay away from the television. And that's when I started picking up the knitting needles and teaching myself. I didn't know that it was going to give me the relaxation and the meditation that it did. And so since that time, I've never stopped knitting. What about you, Greta? How do you get in the in the zone? I find it super meditative as well. I will say one of my favorite times to knit is actually during pledge drives, like between breaks. You know, it's a really nice time to just sort of like have something to do with my hands. I can still listen really well. So I think it works great for that. Um, but I find I have found, and this is so ridiculous, but I can't knit before bed because I get too stimulated. <laughs> it's like what cell phones do, I'm like, do, one right? more row, one more row. I can do more. But you it's know how ridiculous. doctors say stay away from scrolling yeah, exactly. on social media yeah. before going to sleep because yeah. that's what leads to like insomnia. So for you, totally. that's I knitting. I just get too excited. <laughs> I can't handle it. I love it. So, Donna, I'm picturing entering a craft store, uh, being met with rows and rows and rows of yarn. So if I'm new to fiber arts, I mean, where would you suggest I begin? Well, in our particular, in our shop, what we experience is that people who come into the shop and say, I'm brand new to knitting and I want to learn so-and-so, or I am, I've got a, pr- a pattern here and I want to learn how to make a hat. One of the things that we do in our store is our yarn is organized by weight. So if a, p- a particular person is looking for a hand washable yarn versus a machine washable yarn, our store is divided by sections. So you don't have to meander through the entire shop to figure out where your focus should be. It's going to be in one section. And I would say um, small yarn shops are very, very good resources for anyone who's crafting. Mm, We've all started as beginners. We all know the journey, and we're here to help um, you throughout your own journey. Yeah. No, that's good. And and Greta's nodding. You, You agree. For sure. Yeah. I kind of helped out at a yarn shop in my hometown and it was really fun. There's such a great community around yarn shops. Often you can even find like a knit night at a local yarn shop where like people bring like wine and snacks, but you know, some like random weeknight evening or something. And that's a really fun way to get to know people too. But literally at any time you can walk into a yarn shop and say help and there will be at least one person who will be very happy to help you figure it out. And speaking of nights at Sisters Art Studio, Donna, you've got a stitch night. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's on Thursday evenings from 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Awesome. That's a happy hour. Uh, it's perfect. Do, I know. Yeah, Is there wine? We do, 
Yeah, we do encourage people to bring their own beverages. Um, if the weather is nice, we'll drag out all of our chairs on the sidewalk and we'll hang out on the sidewalk until it's too dark to knit it or crochet anymore. Yeah. And then we'll come back in. So, so we've lovely. been doing that from the very beginning. That's, yes. that's amazing. Wonderful. I'm going to see you tonight, Donna. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no more is knitting dubbed as a, a grandma activity, I think, right? You know, you're offering this, Donna, to, to kids. And yeah. Greta, you picked it up at what, 16? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it sounds to me like this is something for everyone. I like to think of it as being still a little bit geriatric, to be honest. But that's just because I, you know, I also like to eat dinner early and like do crossword puzzles. So I'm just kind of leaning into like aging gracefully, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, folks are listening now. They're like me going to finally try this thing because I've been saying, are you going to do it? I really am going to cool. do it because I, what I love is the end product. Yes. I think Donna hit the nail on the head sure. earlier. It's like, when you are able to look at this sweater, this thing, this shawl, yeah, right? I'm, yeah. I'm going to follow in your footsteps and start making <laughs> triangles. Um, that, that's got to be rewarding. So what, what's your advice for first-time knitters out there? It's so rewarding. It's also really practical. And I love that it's like kind of like it's a post-apocalyptic life skill, which like I don't know about you, Sasha, but like as a journalist, it's like I'm not sure I can bring much to the table in like a zombie situation, but I can at least like help keep people warm with these knitted wares. <laughs> My advice, I think, is around Donna's. Like, I think you should just go to a yarn store and follow your heart. I mean, so much of what's pleasurable about any fiber art is that it's so tactile. So I think you got to go and you got to just touch a bunch of stuff and you got to pick your favorite color. Yeah. And then just and know that like whatever project and literally for me, even more than 20 years into having learned you're going to start a new project seven times at least before you like actually can get rolling and you Thank know what you you're for doing. That. So I think a lot of it is just kind of like forgiving yourself and moving forward as you can, That's which is so, so reassuring. Much of life, right? Yes, yes. And before we let you go, Donna, where can we learn more? You could learn more. Um, go to our website, sisterartsstudio.com, and uh, you can find our upcoming classes. On the website, you can register on the website. Um, currently, I have a group of campers outside that are dyeing yarn on the sidewalk oh. as we speak. <laughs> Love it. We uh, also have one more uh, week's worth of camp next week. Our morning camp is is actually uh, crochet level three, and then in the afternoon we're actually we're doing locker hooking, rug hooking. It's a tra- traditional rug hooking process. So, so go to our website. You'll find everything on the website. Fantastic. We've been talking with Donna Pollica, who's owner of Sister Art Studio, and Greta Johnson, host of WBEZ's Nerdette podcast. Thank you both for joining us. We have been talking about creative hobbies and the flexibility that they can bring to our lives. There's a chance to be technical in constructive activities like model kits or more artistic with painting. So where do we go to learn? Joining us is a panel of local crafters from all over the creative spectrum to show us how to get started. We've got Sean Devine, who is the founder and instructor of Chicago School of Woodworking. Welcome to Reset. Thank you. Also here from Chicago School of Woodworking, turning instructor Andy Kuby. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And to round us out, Chris Bussey, who's the owner of Penguin Foot Pottery. I want to start off by asking all of you how you got started in your craft. So, Sean, I'm, I'm looking at you first because you, you actually bought the woodworking school. Is that right? Well, I we started the woodworking school. You started school. it? It wasn't oh. anything to buy. Ah, so, yeah. I mean, so the inspiration, scratch, where yes. did that come from? I took classes similar to the ones that we offer. They were like community hobbyist-based classes. Uh-huh. 
and then I did a one-year apprenticeship. And then not long after that, the founder of that school died, and my business partner at, and I decided to open the Chicago School of Woodworking. Wow. And, and Andy, you worked as an architect. Is that what helped you become interested? or? Uh, I've been an architect for 50 years uh, and was involved in building houses, building, uh, building trades, mm-hmm. and was making furniture right from the beginning. Uh, and about 40 years ago, a partner of mine gave me a lathe. <laughs> so, I mean, so this was right up your alley. It was, I don't, have no idea why he gave it to me. Uh, <laughs> and for about 10 years, I just poked at it. And then finally, my wife said, you have to take a lesson. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, how about you? How long have you been into pottery making and, and ceramics? Yeah, I, uh, let's see. I started in high school. It was less like an elective art class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went to college for art education, kind of focused on uh, pottery, and then uh, CPS teacher for a while, and then got laid off a bunch of times from budget cuts, and me and my wife decided, let's just open our own, own little shop. Time to that. start our own thing. Yeah, you know, you you bring up a good point. High school, right? Because I, I remember I did you know wood shop and in, in high school, and I wasn't good. Certainly not good enough to think, oh, I should take this further. <laughs> it was you know it was for me like like Chris mentioned more of an elective. So I'm curious, you know, from all of you, were you immediately good at this thing, or did it take time? You first, Chris. Um, absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Terrible at it. Uh, absolutely not. No. So it's an absolutely not from from Chris. Absolutely and Andy. not. Absolutely not from Sean too. Okay. So uh, so what was the thing, Sean, that that got you to keep at it? Ooh, um, I think it was the the process and the end product. You know, you're not good at it to start with, but you know, I think seeing seeing the results is kind of motivating and keeps you the final trying. product. Yes. Yeah. What about you, Andy? I uh, it's. Practice, 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 and I was beginning to turn out things I liked, so I kept going. But in order to practice, I mean, you you got to buy materials like clay, and in in Chris's case, or, or wood, right? So is that expensive? Uh, wood and mater- and equipment can get quite expensive, yeah. but uh, you don't have to spend that kind of money. A lot of the materials I use are what we refer to as roadkill. They're the what's left over when the tree service leaves. Yeah, and and that works out just fine. It works out very well. What do you, what are your thoughts there, Sean? Uh, for the furniture making, that's not an option for us. We do have to buy lumber, and that's expensive. So that can get costly yeah. for sure, as we know, especially with inflation, right? Yes. Um, Chris, what about in your world? Does it get um, pricey? Yeah, it can for sure. The you know clay itself isn't too expensive. You know we recycle all our clay here, so everything gets reused until it's ready to get fired. Uh, but the equipment and everything can can really add up quite a bit. Yeah, and let's dig in a bit more as to what you do exactly because woodworking, ceramics, these can seem like broad categories, right? So tell us more about what it actually entails. I'll start with you, Sean. Like so, it's furniture construction, furniture building, furniture making. Yeah. Yes. So we we have a series of three classes. We start with hand tools where they learn measuring, marking, layout. They cut joints by hand. Mm-hmm. After that, they move on to the machines, and we make uh, the first 102 class is they make an arts and crafts end table. 
and the third class they make like a tall table with a they can change the dimensions on this one but they you know do a drawer and they learn more advanced skills mm, okay do you have to be good at math no <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'm looking for <laughs> it helps it helps to be able to read that's why i'm in ruler. journalism <laughs> uh, what about you andy in terms the day to day day to day the uh, our classes are are pretty straightforward uh, a lathe is a a very safe piece of equipment and uh, I think easy to learn. Mm-hmm. We've had very good luck with all of our students. Uh, and a lot of people refer to the work on a lathe as being instant gratification because it's they're, they're very fast. Yeah. Uh, and safe. So. Uh, yeah, because that can cause some hesitation, right? The fa- I mean, you're working with a saw. We're, we're working with a, uh, a gouge. Okay. Uh, which is quite sharp, uh, but in the, in terms of a lathe, you're holding the sharp object, and the wood is spinning. Where with Sean, uh, you're take you're holding the wood, wood and putting it into a sharp object. So we're a, we're a little bit safer. Interesting. But okay. we do have people who are very hesitant when they start, and you yeah. Just how do you address that? Being cautious while having fun. You just we we stress having fun and relaxing and. And that and that makes a big difference. You turn better if you're relaxed and having fun. Chris, what about in in, in your world? Is it is it just pottery making? Um, yeah, I mean, I think clay is pretty versatile. You know, in terms of like what you can make, and there's a lot of parallels there. You know, we have the pottery wheel, which is the spinning wheel, uh, and that takes you know a lot of practice and time to kind of learn working with that tool. Yeah. And then, you know, hand building and sculpture and everything like that, it's a little more slower pace. You have a little more time to work on it and kind of refine and, um, you know, both take practice. But Yeah, I mean, you, you both, you're actually teaching all of this to other people. So I'm imagining, Chris, that there's a lot of trial and error. And I, I, I'm curious if you've seen people get really excited to start out, but then they slowly get frustrated when they don't make the most perfect ceramic object the first time around oh for sure we get um definitely get uh a lot of humbling for people when they come in you know you can you see the movies and tv shows where people are making things real quick and it looks awesome and then you sit down there and you're just amazed on actually how difficult it is um but yeah. it just takes, takes time and practice things can get really technical with furniture right sean so if someone's too stressed about measurements, how do you help them relax? The measurements aren't the difficult part in furniture making oh, necessarily. Um, in, in terms of the progress, the hand tools, those skills take a lot of practice, whereas when you're operating machines, it's the students are very successful. Their first projects, you wouldn't know you wouldn't see a difference between somebody's first project and somebody who's been at it for five years, for example. They do they do a good job. The classes are designed so that they don't make those kind of mistakes, measuring mistakes. Oh, good. Yeah, it's, yeah to talk more about the environment in, in your classes, Andy. I mean, our, do, do people class, come afraid of making mistakes? Uh, there are certainly uh, people who are apprehensive about using the tools and – uh, nobody is successful at it immediately, so there, it does take time. Uh, they're constantly comparing themselves to 
we have we have a number of instructors, so they're constantly comparing themselves to how quickly one of the instructors can do something as a demonstration, mm-hmm. uh, and that gets frustrating occasionally. But uh, for the most part, uh, all of all of our students are are able to do the projects that we would like them to do within the within the time frame that, yeah. that we've established, and they and they get to go home with something. Uh, so, talk to me. If someone walks in, you know. Day one of your your class. I mean, what can they expect for uh, to learn when they first walk in? Uh, we start with very basic concepts. There are two concepts in turning. If we can teach you how to do a bead and a cove, that's pretty much it. And if you can do those two those two uh, things well, that's what. Pretty much everything else in turning is is built upon. Yeah. So we stress that uh, in the beginning, and all of our projects are built on continuing your skill level with those concepts. And what kind of people come to the woodworking classes? Is it a mix? Are you seeing young folks, older wide, folks? Wide range of students. In yeah. terms of age, we get men and women, all different sorts of professions, you know, and I'm curious where they say their interests come from. Like, what what leads them to when you when you do that survey of like, what brought you here, or how did you hear about us? Well, <laughs> what are folks telling you? We've had you? students as young as 11. Oh wow! And also the Chicago Woodturners that I'm part of, we do a lot of events with scout groups and school groups, so we cover a wide range of of classes. Yeah. And uh, another facet of our of our outreach is working with senior centers. So we cover all age groups. Chris, is that how it looks on, on your end too? A wide variety uh, of folks yeah, coming in? Huge variety. Um, you know, I think a lot of folks come in because they're just looking for something else to do that's not, you know, on the phone or computer or something like that and mm-hmm. get their hands messy and um, trying not to be as digital. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and piggybacking, Sean, off of Andy's response earlier, I mean, do you get people who aren't necessarily trying to make this a hobby when they come in? They just want to learn just a new quick skill? No, I think most most of our students are looking at, to do it as a hobby. If they make it and they take the classes, you know, it's a nine weeks, nine, nine-week commitment. Okay. And what, what are they pe- learning in the first couple of classes? Um, in the... In the machine, well, in the hand tool class, it's a nine, there's not so much something that they learn in the first week. That's it's a progression they do. I see a new skill every nine weeks. So you need in to the, do you need to do all nine weeks. Yeah, in the machine class, it's you know they actually complete a project. So they're not learning one machine; they're learning, you know, a dozen different machines. They learn crosscut, joiner, planer. Table saw, routers, mortising machines, dovetail jigs. So every wow. week it's something new. Yeah. Where in the process does uh, woodworking become creative, Andy? Like wh- where do folks start to shake things up a little bit, try new well, things? Well, right, right at the beginning. You, would, you wouldn't be doing this if you didn't want to do something creative. Mm. So we're, they start out creative. Are, are students able to use the shop after classes? Yes, we have. Do you well, find that we have a program for graduates, so they have to go through all three furniture making series before they can use open shop. And then once they get to that point, they can build 
the project of their choice. Andy has a club that they can join for wood turning. Oh, cool! The, and the they Chicago also have, wood, the Chicago Wood Turners. It's a we're thirty five years old. And what is wood turning for the person that doesn't wood, understand? Wood turning is is actually it's it's corollary is pottery. Uh, pottery you're spinning clay on a on a wheel where the axis is vertical, and with wood turning you're turning wood on a lathe where the axis is horizontal. Uh, okay, I'm I'm visualizing and, this, <laughs> and they're making bowls and spindles. We make bowls helps. and yeah. and table legs yeah. and magic wands and wow. vases and vessels and little boxes like the one I brought to you today. Yeah, this is so cool. I can't wait to to dive into that. <laughs> and, and Chris, are you seeing folks get creative or try to shake things up a bit in 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 your pottery classes? Yeah, for sure. I think. Um, you know, we start off with a lot of the fundamentals, uh, you know, just kind of basic construction. And then, you know, you really get to take your creativity from there. You know, if the project is bowls, you know, you kind of make it your own immediately because you're exploring the material and trying something new. Mm-hmm. Do you pr- prefer, Chris, to, to do pottery alone or, or in a group? Um, I'm curious. That's a good question. The uh, I would say both. You know, there's definitely times with you know learning anything new that you just need to sit down a wheel by yourself and kind of mess up a bunch of times and try new things and then you know when you're working with a group of people or at a table or you know a wheel bay um just kind of learning from each other is really important too and kind of seeing new things that mm-hmm. you may have not tried before or um, getting tips from other people struggling with the same thing yeah i love that and, and I'm thinking of, of what we discussed earlier, Sean, on, on cost of this whole thing, right? Material costs. Because I've often been in situations where I'm trying to build a piece of furniture and I'm shocked that the materials cost about the same as if I went and, you know, bought it from a big box store. That's correct. More so, yes. <laughs> you can't compete How do you with deal things with that? that are mass produced. I mean, that's the point of mass production. The point of people coming in is that and you have no emotional connection with furniture that you buy. It's disposable for the most part. We live in a disposable society. But, you know, when they make something, there's a certain emotional connection yeah. to it that they they hang it's on true. to it for life. That is true. There's one chair that I have that, you know, <laughs> I would say I have an emotional connection to for sure. Um, you know what I'm curious from each of you is if there's another craft that you would just love to try outside of your current world? Uh, well, ceramics. Ah. <laughs> ceramics I mean, you talked and, about the similarities there between they're, wood they're, turning. They're very similar, and I have not had a chance to, to do that. What about you, Chris? Something else you would love to try? Um, yeah, actually, woodworking. I mean, I do a little bit <laughs> of stuff. If I well, why don't we get you guys together? <laughs> yeah. Um, but glass blowing also, you know, there's a lot of parallels. Um, yeah. Oh, glass blowing. Yeah, that's a good one. That was my thought. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Glass blowing. Glass blowing. I, I dabbled in ceramics and photography. I would love to get into fiber arts. Ah. Uh, you know, knitting, crocheting. Do it. What's stopping yep. you? Yep. <laughs> get working, it done. Working seven days. Well, a week. now you, you've said it on the radio, <laughs> yeah. so I'm committing you. All, right. <laughs> All right. Before we let you go, tell us where we can find you and your classes. ChicagoWoodworking.com. We've got a website that lists all the classes, the schedule. Excellent. And Andy's on the. Andy's there too. We'll see Andy's picture. All right. They have a. You have a. <laughs> and uh, the the Chicago, Chicago Wood Turners uh, is a a local club. 
Uh, we're a member of a national organization, but it is a local club. We are about, you got a website? 30, about 35 years old. It's chicagowoodturners.com. Beautiful. And Chris? Um, yeah, we're Penguin Foot Pottery, uh, penguinfoot.com. Um, and we're located uh, south Logan Square, just kind of right off the western Blue Line North Branch. Nice. That's owner of Penguin Foot Pottery, Chris Bussey, and founder and instructor of Chicago School of Woodworking, Sean Devine, and turning instructor, Andy Kuby. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Nadia Hernandez, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab and Meha Ahmed. Get more inspiration like this by subscribing to the Reset newsletter. Our digital engagement producer, Claire Hyman, shares recipes, movies, and more, along with the big headlines that you need to know. Just go to wbez.org slash Reset News to sign up. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.